0: This morning, I want to dabble in just a word that God began to deal with me uh, about a week or so ago, and even yesterday, someone had asked me, they said, you know what you're preaching on? I'm like, yeah, and they said, you know, you got a title, and I'm like, no, you know, because it's, it's just, it's like, it's, it's all there, I've just got to figure out exactly how God wants to say this, and so this morning, I've given it a title, so this is the title that I've given: "Blessed." When I'm desperate, blessed. When I'm desperate, that sounds like a contradiction in our culture. Blessed when you're desperate. When when you hear the word desperate, you're like, "Well, that doesn't sound good." You know, so and so's desperate right now. So and so is really desperate. If you hear that phrase, you know, my aunt is really desperate. We think to ourselves, "Well, I hope they get out of that." I hope, hope, hope that changes. I hope they get that fixed. And just like everything else in the Christian walk, there are certain things that are, that are contradictory. There, there are certain things that do not align the same. We give so that we can receive. We don't steal. We don't cheat. We give. We love so that we can be loved. We don't wait till somebody loves us and then we love them. We just go ahead and love them. There, there's so many paradoxes in our Christian life. We could go on and on and on of how the world says, well, y'all, y'all are just crazy to do that. That won't work, but yet it keeps working. And another one of these paradoxes that I need you to understand today that is so important, especially when we've come out of mystery and come out of this, is this paradox of understanding desperation. Living a life of desperation. So let me let me just say it this way. Even though, and there's plenty of mystery in, in the gospel, there's plenty of, of times we talk about mystery, but it, some things are not mysterious at all. Some things run a thread through the entire Old Testament, New Testament, and it never changes. Some things are just normal. When you read the stories of the Bible, they're just normal. And, and when we're reading them, we don't really think about it because that's them. That's what they're going through. And we get to know the end of the story. We get to know how Daniel ends up in the lion's den. We didn't know how Shadrach, Meshach, and I, We already know the end of the story. We know Noah's story, and we know Jonah's story, and we know everybody's story from the end, and yet we don't understand that in the middle of all of that, there is a paradox that is constantly flowing, and the paradox is what C.S. Lewis talked about many years ago. When one of his friends got sick and and, and they asked him about this, here's what he said. He says, God uses affliction as a sincere mercy. Think about that. God uses affliction as a sincere mercy to help keep his saints from going astray. God says, I love you so much, I'm fixing to mess you up. I love you so much, I'm fixing to bring this on you or allow this to happen to you. And even saying that sounds so odd in our, in our culture, in our world of how we see God and how we think God operates. In fact, so many people end up leaving the church or confused about God or not really ever following God because they're always going to struggle with this mindset. Well, if God loved me, he would bless me. If God loved me, he wouldn't let me go through this. If God loved me, he wouldn't have let this happen. If God loved me, and even though they won't say it out loud, there's a distrust of this God that they talk about, sing about, and even tell you they believe in. There's a disconnect that has been brought there. So the first point that I want you to understand and we need to grasp as we walk in this this journey is simply this is that the Bible is full of examples of this paradox. That inside of this this paradox of God uses affliction to bring good, and He uses evil to bring prosperity, and He brings prosperity or allows prosperity many times to our own hurt. If God had his way, he would not overly bless you because he would understand how much damage it could do to you. Now, that sounds crazy, brother. Well, then let's just just read about it, and then you tell me what you think. Go in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. Here's the apostle Paul. We would say Apostle Paul was probably one of the closest people, one of the mightiest New Testament people in, in, in the kingdom. He was, he was this mighty man, and God loved him, and God wanted Paul to take the gospel as far as he could, and God wanted as many people saved as possible. And here's what the Bible says. And lest I should be exalted above measure. This is what this is the Apostle Paul now writing to the Corinthian church about his life. In fact, this is 2 Corinthians, so this is the last letter the Corinthians will ever get. In fact, we're at chapter 12, which is at the end of everything he's going to write. So all the correction, everything he's ever told them, all that he's told them to do, he says, let me sum it up like this. Let me just go ahead. The last thing I want to tell you is this, is that even in my life, The fact that I, because of all that I've been through, I've been shipwrecked and I've I've, I've been snake bit. I have been hit with stones and raised from the dead. and, and, And I have gone through it all beaten with rods. You name it, I've gone through it. But let me leave this nugget of information for you that you will understand. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations. All the stuff that I've been through. God, a thorn in the flesh has been given to. God said, Paul, I love you so much. You just a little, you just I gotta hurt you, son. I gotta slow you down. In the flesh was given to me a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to slow me down, to stop me, to, to fight against me, to, to be a weight that I have to deal with lest I should be exalted above measure. In other words, that I would have too much stuff and I would see myself and move and move away from God. That sounds crazy. God, if you give me more, I would be... No, you wouldn't. No. There, there, there's a season a kid needs to ride a bike. There's a season a kid needs to drive the car. There's a season they, they need to be... Let doing certain things. And God understands in our life that if I just give you stuff and keep giving you stuff, it's not to your benefit, it's to your detriment. It's to your own hurt. So Paul understood this. He said, concerning this thing, I pled with the Lord three times that he would depart it from me. He would take it away. I prayed for my miracle. I prayed that God would deliver me from it. I prayed that God would remove this situation. God would take it away. Now, whatever it exactly was, we don't know. We just know it was sent by, by God through Satan to slow him down. It, it may have been, some say, his eyesight. Some say different issues, his, his health, his, his, his different things he's been through. Some, some say it was just a spirit that was always constantly bothering him and, and nagging at him. And bo- I don't know exactly. It really doesn't matter because every one of us in this room has an affliction, has something that God has used not only to grow us but also to slow us so that we don't think of ourselves better than the person we're sitting beside so that we don't think of ourselves as more important so that we don't get a big head about anything, God leaves things in my life so that I don't have a problem cleaning the bathrooms, so I don't have a problem walking around mowing the grass and somebody says, you ought not be doing that You should." why? I'm no better than anyone else, you don't understand the afflictions in my life and the struggles in my life, let me remind me every single day that I'm covered in flesh and bone and I fight the same battle and I'm not better than anybody and I haven't gone too far and I'm not too good and I'm not too great. I'm just normal. I'm fighting this thing. When somebody walks by you and acts like they've got no affliction you need to make sure they don't become a best friend of yours because they're hiding something that you don't know about. You need to find somebody who can look at you. I love, uh, and and I'm going to put a spoiler on this, I watched the Denzel Washington movie, this me and Elise went on our date and and we watched Equalizer 3 and, and, and the one line and there that I love is the one line it don't spoil the whole movie but I love this the the doctor asks him he said are you a good man he said are you a good man and of course Denzel Washington's this guy who kills people and does this stuff and he's he he tries to do it for the right reason and everything and he looks at the the doctor and he says I don't know and the doctor later in, in the movie he said he said. Why have you helped me, doctor? Why have you, why did, why did you do that for me? Why did you, why, why were you so nice to me? And the doctor said, because you remember the first question I ever asked you? He said, he's thinking, he said, was I a good man? He said, what did you say? I don't know. He said, only a good man would say that. And I love that line. I'll be using that one for that. I've been using Clint Eastwood lines for hundreds of years. So I'm going to be using that one now forever. I was like, are you a good man? I don't know. Only a good man gets up every day and says, I don't know. I just know today I got to go in the strength of God, in the ability of God, in the courage of God. And today when I get to the end, I hope somebody says, that man is a good man look what he did today look how he lived today look how he walked today I don't know I don't get up with an attitude I'm just a great good man I get up with the attitude that I can't make it one day one minute one second without the power of God directing and guiding and leading me I wake up every day of my life I don't know I'm not like some of y'all some of y'all don't have to read your Bible for a week and a half some of you don't have to pray except over your grits and your oatmeal some of you don't have to do that I woke up this morning praying from the time I got started. I woke up this morning realizing, without him, I got nothing. I don't have the breath in my body. I don't have the ability to do. I'm desperate every day of my life. I live in desperation for the power of God to be in my life. Some of y'all aren't desperate. You walk around, people can see you're not desperate. You're just waiting to find that place to lay down and die. You're just floating through. Desperate people are different. So number one, understand. The Apostle Paul said, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. I don't know if I'm a good man, but I know God's a good man. (laughs) I know he's good. So when I'm weak, I can be strong. Paul said, I'm going to give you an understanding. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities. So when I was saying that a while ago, and y'all think, why is Pastor Lott talking about how bad he is or how he's struggling? Because I'm going to boast in my weaknesses so that when I overcome them, What? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Oh, if y'all knew that, I wouldn't have to preach no more of this sermon. You would already be up on your feet, breaking off the barnacles of laziness you've done still had, breaking off the mindset of, well, whatever. I'm here. Whoop de doo. You got up and got your clothes on this morning. You ought to be proud of yourself. How about doing something with your life? Let's try it. But to do it, you're going to have to come to grips with what you can't do, and then you're going to have to believe that God's got the power to go beyond that and give you the strength to overcome that. It's not mysterious. It's it's just the way the Bible reads. Therefore, most gladly, I will do this. Verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in I take pleasure in them. They're part of who I am. Some of y'all won't do nothing for God because God ain't took this away. How about you do it with it in the way? How about you just do it in spite of it being there? Well, I can't talk good. Talk anyway. Well, I'm I'm I'm, I'm not do it anyway. God never looked for you to do it anyway. It never was about you doing it. I don't know who preached that to you gave you the misnomer. You ain't that smart. You're not that good. You're just a vessel that he wants to use and he's given you a certain amount of talent along with the mess up in you and he said, between the two, I'm going to make something good of it. Ask Peter. Peter said, i would be cussing one minute, walking on water the next, but God still uses me. Well, when I get this cussing thing under control, God, me, I'll start fucking. Peter, come on. Come on. We're going we're to get that out of you, son. We're going to get it out. Is this all right? I'm only preaching the Bible. Y'all act like it ain't never been like this before. For some of y'all it ain't, but this is the Bible. Maybe not where you grew up, but this is the Bible. Go with and let's look at a, a character who affliction is what made him who he was and success is what destroyed him. Go with me in your Bibles to Psalms 119. The psalmist David is writing, and listen to what he learns about his life. Psalms 119, verses 67 through 71. I want you to see what David understands about his life. Before I was afflicted, I did what? Is David? Why did David kill the lion and the bear? Because his daddy didn't think he was worth more. You got a job for me, Dad? Yes, son. Go take care of them sheep out there in the woods. Why did he kill Goliath? Because Saul wouldn't go out and do it. And his brother laughed at him and said, we know why you're here. You're here to just get attention and stuff. You need to go back home to daddy. And in the middle of his affliction, he said, is there not a cause for somebody to go out there and kill that rascal? I'll go. You're just a boy. Don't matter. I'll go. I mean, everybody's telling him you're too young. You're a kid. You're not able. He's a man of war. You're going to die. Even Goliath told him, I'm going to kill you. In the middle of all of his affliction, he just kept saying, Oh no, I'm going to kill you. I didn't show up to lose today. Because why? In the middle of his affliction, he knew that he was anointed. In fact, when he faced Goliath, he told Goliath, I won't kill you today. I won't destroy you today. But what you have done is you have defiled the armies of the mighty God. And that God today is going to use this vessel today to take care of your head today. David says, before I was afflicted, I, I, I never went astray when I was afflicted. But it's when I wasn't astray, afflicted, I would go astray. But now, I, I, I want to keep your word. You are good, and do good. Teach me your statutes. The, the proud, that's what he says, the proud have forged a lie against me. But I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in the law. What's he doing? He's saying, when I'm afflicted, it draws me to what you say. It pulls me toward who, what you've said about it. It forces me to have to say, God, I'm holding on to you. i got nothing else. He said, in my affliction, I, when, I, when I'm not afflicted, I don't care about what you're saying. But in my affliction, when people are speaking against me, when others are do, don't believe in me, when others are laughing at me, it, it, it causes me to draw near to what you said. And, and now I feel like I'm all alone, but that's okay. Because while I feel all alone, there's a strength that comes on me at the same same time, I'm alone. I'm also strong. That's what he's trying to convey. Here's what he sums it up: It is good for me that I have been afflicted. It's good that I may learn your statutes. Listen, number one, you need to understand this. There mostly is going to be times. When good will come through evil affliction. And, this is just as true, the evil will always bombard you in the good of prosperity. The writer in the New Testament would say it this way, Beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Don't ever get above your soul. If you're working for, if, you got, if you're saving more money than you're using it for God, then you don't need the money. God's wasting good money on your sorry self. Who cares if you die with a bank account? What good's it going to do you? Who cares if you die with a big 401? What good's it going to do you? You're still going to die and you're going to die with nothing. But then your reward will be left here for somebody hopefully to pick it up and do something smarter than you did with it. Hopefully, they'll have more sense. They'll say, Mom and Dad died all that money in the bank, and Lord, they accomplished nothing. I'm going to die broke. But I'm going to live it and burn it like John Wesley. I'm going to burn it at both ends, and I'm going to just watch what God's going to do. Which one do you think they're going to talk about? It ain't going to be you. Brother Lot you being ugly. No, I'm trying to get you to understand. It is accepting and enjoying the affliction of life. It is not striving for your comfort. That allows you to become great in the kingdom. I don't like it. I I, I wish it was the opposite. I wish I give my life to God. I sit here and I just don't do nothing wrong. And God says, "Whoa!" I'm just going to bless it on you. That's not the way the kingdom works. The kingdom works as somebody who goes and strives, risks the loss, takes the chances. I don't have time to go through the five talents and the two talents and the one talent. The guy who just buried it and sat there, God said, I hate you. The one who was willing to risk the five and risk the two and said, oh, it's been a, it's been a journey, but I risked it and we took chances. And guess what? I doubled it. He said, now you are my kind of guy. Go with me in your Bible. Let me show it to you a little bit. Go with me to James 1, 1 through 4 before I move on James 1 1 through 4 here's what it says James a bond servant of God now think of how he says that he has the right mindset well I'm a child of God yeah but it ain't fully there yet you're still in the tutoring stage On this side, you're a servant. In fact, on this side, you are a bond servant. You have decided to give your life completely and wholly to God. That's the way it has to be if you're going to succeed. I'm not saying you can't come to church and leave church and do a few things. If you're going to succeed, you're going to accomplish something with your life. You're going to have to die. You're going to have to give it up. And here's what it looks like. And James, a bondservant, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, and I love how he starts. He said, I'm just going to teach it to you right off. Count it all all joy when you fall into various, some call it divers temptations, trials, tests, problems, issues circumstance, whatever you want to call it. You need to get up and when that happens, you need to say, praise God, God's got something good coming from me. Now, I know that's what you already do. I just wanted to remind you of it. Because when I meet you after church, you're not going to meet me like, Pastor Lot, you need to be praying for me now. I got some stuff going on in my family. And I'm like, I'm like I am like, I know you're just going to walk past a lot. Praise God. My family's about to blow up right now. It's, it's chaos. But I'm thankful for it because God is in the middle doing something. And something good is about to happen. <laughs> I'm just telling you to be biblical. I didn't tell you to be Methodist, Baptist, Church of God. I didn't tell you to be anything. I told you to be biblical. And biblical means I rejoice. In the trials, just like Paul said, I rejoice in my infirmities. Just like David said, I'm more blessed when I'm afflicted. You're going to have to get this mindset if you ever going to go anywhere. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be Perfect and complete. Lacking. So why God bringing all this stuff on me? Because you're lacking. Look at the person beside you and say, you know why your problems are here. Go ahead and tell them. You know why your problems are here. You're not doing it. Some of y'all need to look at the other person beside I don't know if you're afraid, you're mad at them or afraid of them. You need to look at them. Go ahead and tell them. Just look at them and say, you know why you're going through your problems. And just smile and say, because God knows You're lacking. That's just why he's bringing you through it. He knows you're lacking. When people say, "Bro, I'd love to, you know, go to where you be where you are and grow, grow," well, it's easy. Just let him keep picking out the lackings. He just keeps picking out lackings, and he finally just gets to where anything and everything that don't align with God, it just makes you mad, upsets you. It's Like, whoa, oh, oh, we go to the mat right here. I'm sorry, that, ain't, that is not right. Doesn't matter if you like it or not. It's just a fact of it, it's just like, it. It just weeds out everything. Well, people aren't going to like you if you do that. Well, that's great. That means I'm just like Jesus. I, I think that's what he said. He said, they didn't like me. So what do you think they like you for? If you want to be like me, just keep saying and doing the things that I've told you to do. And they won't like you either. But you won't be lacking Here's what 1 Peter says. Let's see what Peter says about it. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7. Is this all right? Let's get this off my chest. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant, say the word, Mercy. mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power through the faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. In this, greatly rejoice. Boy, I wish I could end it right there. Man, I just, I'm telling you, I've been saved, set free, redeemed, on my way to heaven. Here's the problem. There's a comma. No exclamation point. And here's what it says. Though for a little while, if it need be, you have been grieved by various... I love that, how he just puts it so sweetly. If it need be. If God feels like it need be. I don't know why I'm struggling. Maybe God says you need be. I don't know why. Maybe it ain't for them. Maybe it's for you. Maybe you need be. Just a little while. You might need be. Go through something. That you don't like going through. Having been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness. Of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I could keep doing this all day if y'all want me to. It's going to come out the same way. But I think you get point one. Be careful of all the prosperity because prosperity brings you your trouble. Be thankful for the infirmities because the infirmities draw you to God. Number two, understand this. Emptiness then, emptiness is the prerequisite for desperation. Emptiness is the prerequisite. Desperation is the condition that exists when we recognize it's present when emptiness is present when there is nothing. In other words, I, when I used, when I was younger and, and, and didn't have debit cards and all this, you know, most of the time you had to pay cash for your gas and stuff. I kept like a ziplock bag of change. That was my gas money most of the time. So even today, if you go to my truck, you'll see a ziplock bag of just pennies, quarters, dimes, whatever it is that I keep over there. And that's that just in case. Because there are times where I will look at my gas gauge and think, I can make it. Anybody ever do that? I can make it. You get about halfway and you think you can make it and all of a sudden you turn off the air conditioner. I'm just talking about me. I'm not talking about you. Just, it's, just, it's like I turn off the air conditioner. That's at least another mile. <laughs> And I roll the windows down and I'm like, I'm like, roll them all down because we don't want no air catching us and slowing us down. We don't want to catch, it. we want to make sure air is going all the way through. And I'm sitting there with that little bag of chasing. I, I got a dollar and 47 cents. If I can just get to the gas I know they're gonna laugh at me, but I don't care. I'm desperate. I, I will get home on this and at least can give me some more money. See, emptiness, the closer you are to empty the more desperate you realize you are. If you never live your life not feeling empty, then you will never pursue God because it's in desperation, it's in emptiness that we realize that I need God. You show me the greatest people you've ever met in the Christian walk and I will show you the most empty people you'll ever meet. There are people that realize I need God for everything. I need God for the The higher you're going to go, the more empty they are. It is, the, it is the prerequisite for God strengthening, giving you everything you need to overcome. Now the question is, how empty am I? Desperation only comes when they recognize the need that's beyond their ability to meet. You can't do it yourself. I am empty, and if I reached over, there's no change, and there's no bag, there's nothing, and I've got miles to go, and I'm like, God... Even if I, even if I found a gas station, I don't have any money to put gas, I am, I am empty, I am without, I am lost. And and imagine how scared you get at those moments, how, how insecure, how, how, way before cell phones came along and you could call somebody. I mean, when you were out in the middle of nowhere and you're like, I'm 20 miles and it has been on E for a while and I know it's fixing to go out any minute and I'm thinking to myself, oh man, what an idiot you were, what a, what a dummy, you should have stopped till 20 miles back, you should have done, you're going through all these You know why? Because you're empty. And if you ever come to God empty, you will find the answers that you look for. But when you come to God already half full and already half fixed and already half got your ideas of what you're going to do and you need God to help a little bit, you're never going to walk or move with God. God works on empty. Let let me show it to you, a couple stories. In in Mark 2, and we don't have to go there as far as scriptures, but verses 1 through 13 is, is the story of the four carrying the palsy. It's the four men that says we got to get to Jesus. He, we, we can't fix this guy. We can't. We can't. We don't have any way to help him. He's he's messed up. We can't fix it. What are we going to do? Well, we need to get him to Jesus. They get to the house and guess what? The house is is packed full. They can't get in. They nobody will get out of the way. And they're like, Hey, can we get through? No, man. I have been standing here trying to hear it myself. I'm not moving. And 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 finally, they use the stairwell on the side because all those houses in that time had stairwells to get up on the top, and they had the flat roofs. And they decided we'll just get up on the roof. And so they go up on the roof. They find where the voice of Jesus is. It, wherever there's a weak spot or a place of opening, there was escape type hatches there too. So they found the nearest one. They start tearing up the roof and they let this man down. Why are they doing all this? Because they're desperate. In fact, Jesus said that he didn't look at the man of palsy. The Bible says when he looked up and saw their faith. In other words, they're like, we done cleared up a roof. We done carried this man a mile or so. We've done everything we know to do to get him to Jesus because we don't have another answer. And that's what moves God. Let me give you another one. And I love the book of Mark. I tell you all the time, it's the cartoon or it's the comic book version of God. It's, it's, it's Superman. Superman. He is the son of God in the book of Mark. It's just one story after another, one mighty act after another. And you read it kind of like that. It's like, wow, he just did this, and he did this, and he raised this person, and he fixed this. And so all through Mark, you find this. That's why in chapter 5, we have the lady with the issue of blood. Here she is, after 12 years of doing all she knew to do. Guess what she was now? Empty. The Bible said she had spent all she had trying to find a cure. She was empty. She had no other options. She had no other hope. But she had one thing. She had a mindset that if I can get to Jesus, and I don't care what it takes, and I don't care who I have to step past, and I don't care who I have to crawl under, and I don't care what I have to do, if I can get to him and I can just touch the hem of his garment, my life will be changed. That's what she does. She just decides. I'm, I'm going after him. I'm going to get at, and she does. She presses through. Doesn't ask permission. Doesn't ask whether it's a good idea or bad. She just keeps reaching until she grabs a hold of him passing by, and immediately she feels that in her healing, Jesus feels virtue leave him, and everything goes chaotic. Then he stops and calls her out and goes. To, but she's like, oh, "I'm sorry. I had to do. But I didn't have no other options. I, I didn't have no other choice. I, I've done down. to I had no more pennies to rub together. I got nowhere to go. I got nobody." to help I need a deliverance I need a healing I need a miracle and I don't care what anybody else thinks I don't care if all these people don't like me I know what I have to have see you've got to redefine desperate the definition of desperate is this it means dangerously reckless or violent as from urgency or despair in other words you get in my way i hurt you I'll hurt you you don't, you don't keep me away from God. I'll run slap over you to get to God. It's, it's not a bad thing. Here's what it says showing extreme courage, especially of action courageously undertaken as a test or as a last resort. It says showing extreme urgency or intensity, especially because of great need. Or desire it just means I got no other option I love I love when we go swimming and do things like this but, but it's amazing how all around the swimming pool is all this stuff and, it, and it's, 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 it's labeled it's listed we got lifeguards that have to hold this in fact it's a pool how hard is it to get somebody out from one end of a pool to the other? But even then, you've got to have one of these. So if somebody's drowning, here, grab this. Why don't you just jump in and help them? What's the first thing they teach you when you're lifeguarding? Don't go in after somebody and try to grab them and save their life. Because what are they going to do? They're going to drown you. Why why are they doing that? Don't they want to live? What's the problem? They're desperate. You don't get around desperate people. Well, if we come to the altar sometime and somebody was just like over there praying and we're like, ooh, here. I better be careful get too close to you. You're liable to grab a hold of me. I ain't not me lay my hands on you, you liable to just grab hold of me. We don't get desperate very often. We always feel like, well, if it didn't work, we'll try something else. But if you were drowning and somebody threw you something, grab that. Oh, son. you (laughs) Would you care that, that people were watching you and you look kind of, you know, you really don't look too cool at the moment. Would you care? Would you care if your hair was messed up? If your makeup ran a little bit? Would you care if somebody... Saw you and was laughing at you and said, look, I can't even swim. Would you care? Only thing you care about is what? I'll take that thing. I'll take it in a heartbeat. I ain't going to argue about it. You're not going to throw it out there and I'm going to just float around it. Well, let me think about it. Let me think about it. Oh, I don't know. It would be so embarrassing, everybody laughing at me when I got to the bank. No, you grab a hold of this thing. You're like, oh, thank God. And people would laugh and they would make fun, but it wouldn't matter because desperate people don't care. Desperate people don't care. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say about them. They got one job that I want to live. When you read the Bible stories, what you find is the desperation in them in every story that they do not care what others think or say. They are going to choose God, run to God, cling to God, or not letting go of God. The miracles that we see only are a result of those things. Number three. From a divine perspective, this is important. From a divine perspective. From a heavenly perspective, there are many blessings and even promises of God that cannot be obtained apart from being desperate. There are some things that will never happen for you. What if the lady with the issue of blood had said, I don't know, if Jesus ever comes by, just happened to come by my door, I'll ask him to pray for me. What if she said that? Would you have thought she's a bad person? And if she would have died, she'd have said, "Well, you know, I just never had the opportunity to meet him. It was always a big crowd around him. I just never had a chance to get to meet him." What if Bartimaeus had had said, "You know what?" I, I really wanted to meet him. He was so close to me that one time he came by, and I could, I could hear him, and I could hear everybody talking to him, and everybody was telling me, hey, Bartimaeus, be quiet now. Don't calm down. You know, we don't want to disturb Jesus and everything. And you know, I was trying to be polite. I didn't want to disturb Jesus, so I just sat there and just, just, just let him walk on by instead of screaming to the top of my lungs and said, hey, son of David, hey, hey. I mean, there's no sense in doing something ridiculous. You think of how many miracles in the Bible would have been lost, given away, or never happened if it had not been for the desperation. There never would have been a Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel in the lion's den never would have happened because Daniel would have heard the decree and the law says you can't pray no more. And so Daniel would have said, well, you know, I don't want to break the law and I'm just going to, I'm just going to skip my prayer life for a little while and I'm just going to stop doing the praying. So I'm, I'm just going to end that. And so he would have just quit praying, and there never would have been a Daniel in the lion's den. But Daniel decided, I'm too desperate. I'm too desperate. So what did he do? He went home, opened his windows, knelt down and said, God, I don't care what the law is. I got to have you. That's the mindset. So understand it this way. There are many blessings that you will never have, Never see unless you become desperate. Let me just say it this way. Desperate people are blessed for they'll tear off a roof when it's necessary. Desperate people are blessed for they will push through a crowd when it's necessary. Desperate people won't be offended by what somebody says. Even if Jesus calls you a dog, they won't quit. Desperate people won't be offended. Desperate people, for they will be glad to put up with indignity and counter anything. They're willing to change, do whatever they have to do. Like Zacchaeus climbing a tree and I'll do whatever I got to do. Desperate people. Blessed are desperate people, for they'll break barriers. Like the woman with the issue of blood. They'll break barriers. Blessed are desperate people for they will lay in the dirt and climb a tree and jump a lake. They'll do whatever they got to do. Blessed are desperate people for they will not argue about what God does or how He does it as long as He's moving. See, some of y'all aren't desperate. You'd like to see some things happen, but if it ain't going to happen your way, let's be honest. You can live with it. You can live with that child being lost. You can live with that breakthrough never happening. You can live with that issue. You can live with that hurt. Blessed are desperate people. For if it wasn't for desperate people, the presence and the power of God would never be manifested in our churches at all. Only time you ever see anything happen in church is because somebody got desperate. If you got saved, it's because someday God reminded you, you're going to hell. You need to get desperate. Somebody got healed, it's because the doctor said there's no cure, no hope. And you got desperate. It's only desperate people that make the difference in the world. Let me read these two scriptures and I'll let you go. Go with me to Jeremiah 29. And 13. And you will seek me and find me. When you search for me. With what? That's called desperate. When you seek me, you'll find me. There's not a time in my life It's not a moment in my life that I never found him. But there's never a moment in my life that I found him that it wasn't because I was also desperate. The two ran parallel all the time. In my desperation, I cry out. And in my desperation, he answers. Brother, that's Old Testament. That's Jeremiah. Well, let's hear what Jesus would say to you if he stood here today. Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Here's what Jesus says. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. It doesn't mean I'm going to always get everything I want. But it means I will get an answer. And I will have his presence. And I will, whether it's Paul who says, you know what? God said no. That's okay. I'm going to glory in it because he said this is going to make me better than it would be if I didn't have it. I can live with that. And then it may be like the lady with the issue of blood. God may lay it on your heart if you just didn't care anymore and you went after him with everything you had that miracle is waiting if you seek you'd find if you knock i would open but you also have to go to the opposite of this i know it sounds so good but ask it this way what if you don't seek what if you don't knock what if you never ask You're sitting right there with your affliction, your issue, your addiction, your problem. And you won't ask. Will you stand? question this morning is is not complicated. There are people standing around watching. People wondering what will happen next. Person you're standing beside that doesn't even know all that's going on in your life and you don't want them to even suspect anything. You don't want them to know all the issues or worries or stresses or stuff you've been thinking lately or what's been going on at the work. All this is going on around you, and yet the only question that really matters and the only question that will determine what will happen today is one thing. How desperate are you for an answer? See, the other stuff don't matter. My whole life has been, I don't really care what anybody else thinks or says. If I had, I'd have shut her down a long time ago and slowed down a long time ago. The only thing I am, the only thing I learned to be really good at is to stay desperate for Him. I don't claim to be the smartest, I don't claim to be the brightest, I've never said that. But if you ever say anything about me one day, then I hope it's this. That was one man who was desperate to see all that God had, and all that God would do, and all that God could make. I don't know if that's you. I don't know if there's a Daniel or a lady with an issue. I don't know if there's a person in here like that this morning. But I just know if you are, there's a God here too. And he said, if you have knock, I'll answer it. If you'll seek me, you'll find me. And if you ask, I will answer you. If you're in this place right now, you say, Pastor, that's me. Then what's stopping you? He's here. You don't need me. You need to come get your answer. You need to come running toward him knowing that he can feel the emptiness the emptiness that you're struggling with. I don't need to know it. The lady with the issue of blood didn't walk through the crowds like, oh, I got issues. I need to see Jesus. I got it. She's just... I don't need to talk to none of y'all. I don't need y'all to know what's going on in my life. I just need him. If God's calling you to this altar this morning, then don't worry about anybody else going around. You just raise those hands where you are and you just tell God, it's me, God. You're calling me and I'm I'm answering, God. I'm pursuing you this morning. I'm pursuing you this morning. God, for every lady with the issue of blood, let there be healing this morning. For every Daniel that's going through a lion's den, let there be a miracle. For every person that feels like they're going through the fire, let there be no harm, not even a smell of smoke. Whatever the problem and whatever the struggle is this morning, God, in their desperation, let them right now cling, cry out, grab hold of the only answer there is, and that's you. I speak that in the name of Jesus right now, this is done. This miracle is finished. This answer is being given right now. Whatever you're speaking to them, whatever action you're asking them to do, if there's an action involved, let them do it. If there's something they need to go do and get rid of, there's something they need to correct, something they need to change, let them change it. Let it be done right now. God, thank you that for every person this morning who asked you, you gave them an answer. For every person that seeks you right now, they're finding you. Miracles are falling in this place. The world doesn't understand it. Rational Christianity. and But God, I do. There's still a God in heaven. Who can break into our little old world. And fix what nobody else can fix. This morning, God, whatever it is. I speak it done in the name of Jesus. Every dream that we haven't seen break forth yet, I speak it done. Every miracle that we're wanting to see, I speak it done. And I give you praise. In Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. Be desperate. Live desperate. Every day of your life, live desperate. And you will live the greatest life you've ever lived. You live half full, half empty. And you will be the most miserable Christian you've ever thought one could be. Wondering why things don't happen to me and with me and for me. Things only happen for the desperate. For the desperate. Father, this morning, bless us. Keep us as we go to our classes. And God, continue to keep us desperate. Through the infirmities that come in our life, God, I glory in them. Without them, I would have never grown, I would have never matured, I would never be even where I'm at. It is the struggle along the way, the difficulties, the time of tears. That has made me run to you. Over and over and over. And I wouldn't change a thing. In Jesus name. Amen. God bless you.